0: Welcome to Learning CDH, the podcast dedicated to teaching you everything you need to know about Competitive Commander. I'm your host Matthew, I'm once again joined by my co-host Eric. And today we're talking about some more uh, beginner-friendly CDH goodness. Today's a, a pretty big topic that I get a lot of questions about that, that can be a little hard to address because there can be a lot of um, specificity to, it, to how to answer
1: it based on the person. And that is, how do I pick a deck in CDH? But first, let's get a little housekeeping and talk about the sweet merch that we're wearing, you know?
0: Mine's just off camera. Uh, uh, Yes. Horrible action,
1: you know? Yeah. Sweet shirts over at Spring that Matt graciously puts out. So
0: (laughs) Very graciously. Yeah, Um, Yeah. new merch out. There's the Turbo shirt, which mine is on the way. I'm super hyped to get it. I'm wearing that thing constantly. You can get the Turbo shirt, the Najeela shirt, Yuriko shirt, Stack shirt if you're into that kind of thing, all kinds of stuff over there. You can get that in the description below. Also, you could support us over on Patreon for the Morris cards. And I want to make a big thank you to all my patrons over there, especially to big $10 patron Elf Cruz. Thank you so much to everybody over there. Everything that you do to support me there very directly allows the channel to get to do cool new things, get to make new merch stuff. It all feeds into itself and I get to help make cooler stuff for you to enjoy. And then that helps me, you know, keeps the cycle going.
2: Yeah,
1: absolutely. Matt does all the work on the podcast. I'm just here just trying to be a face, uh, trying to get that clout, you know, any and all support goes directly to him. So just want to make sure that, you know, our Patreons and just our viewers and listeners know that. So we want to make sure that the podcast keeps growing. And that's the first and most important thing to me.
0: Today we're talking about a topic that it is very much something brought up like by beginner players, but it's something that is like important to people at all stages because like it's it's a question that you will keep asking yourself and keep thinking about is what should I be playing? If, if I'm a new player, that question looks a little bit different, but as somebody who's been playing the game for a while now. I still keep asking myself that question. I'm super indecisive a lot of times. And, you know, picking a deck, even if you only play a couple games, you know, you're devoting like maybe like five to ten hours playing the deck, plus, you know, getting it, sleeving it up, all that. And so there's a big commitment. And then if you're going to play a deck for a long time, you know, it's a huge commitment. We've kind of went through what I think are some of like the main places or or ways that people approach this question. And we're going to kind of go through it, break it down from different perspectives and give out some general suggestions and then also like some specific ones that i think are pretty safe bets for people at at different points
1: yeah i really like that too because and we're going to get into all these points but just knowing how and why to pick your deck based on you know some just different like Metrics that we set out, not really even metrics, but just guidelines, I think can really help a new player kind of navigate their way into CEDH, especially to now that CEDH has grown. There's quite a bit more resources out there. While it's a very positive thing, there's also a lot more hands in the cookie jar, so to speak. So Mm. it could get a little confusing with all the information. You know, you're going to have people tell you to play this or play that. Uh, Only play decks that uh, top 16, apparently, you know, that type of stuff versus just letting you come in and explore the format on your own volition
0: yeah there's a lot of noise i think is the is the way to put it there's a lot of like oh is sure. this the new deck where you have like you know new commander comes out that might be viable so everyone for a month is talking about slicer or,
1: or something like that Ooh. yeah exactly uh no it's, it's cool though i like <laughs> slicer though it's a pretty sweet deck it yeah it's awesome
0: it is a cool one to you know approach if if you're looking for something specific and and that's one of the cool things about CDH is there are options that are like really fall into certain niches of like, if I want a red kind of stack C deck that just beats people to death, there is a, an option for me now.
1: Yeah, it's called Godo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm joking. You can play. A sl- I think uh, Slicer pr- pretty cool card.
0: So I have come up with three sort of main questions that would ask somebody who is looking to get into the format. So question number one. I would say, what are you trying to get out of CDH? Pretty straightforward. A lot of people come to CDH for different things. There there are people that approach it from a just kind of inquisitive perspective of like, I keep hearing about this thing. What's it look like? What is it? There are people who are like, hey, this is a new way to play my favorite format competitively. I want to get into there, see how I can learn it. There's a lot of different ways. I, I think The main sort of three answers, though, that you're going to get are to see what it's all about, what's going on, play for fun with no power level concerns. I think that's a big one for a lot of people. Casual commander can be a bit of a uh, (laughs) I don't know a nice way to put it. It can be a bit of a mess trying to get a pod where everybody's on the same page. And CDH, sometimes if you're playing more casually, um, you're going to be looking for a certain type of game. But for the most part, everybody's coming in with very similar expectations of what is allowed, basically, which is good cards, you know, playing the best stuff, decks that are trying to do the thing very efficiently. And three being play multiplayer to the best of my ability, which is maybe the least represented of these. But we do see like really competitive minded players come into here as a new, very different sort of way to play magic at a high level because competitive multiplayer magic is very different than 1v1. So that is a way that some people get introduced in the format as well.
1: Yeah. So... Like the first one that Matt talked about was, let's just see what it's about. And especially with the growth of commander and especially the growth of CDH specifically, you know, just understanding what it's about, depending on where you're from or how close you are to the commander format or how entrenched your, let's say your local play group at your LGS or whatever community you're part of, you may not really know what CDH is. We've talked about this before and my home area, a lot of people have a lot of misrepresentation of what CDH is. They just think it's a bunch of infinites. I've probably played against more infinites in like, mid whatever high powered casual games and they're always like some dead eye navigator style kind of yeah. wins you know that type of stuff and I feel like I play against more against like those type of things and while CDH has its infinites, infinites aren't typically like a huge thing in our format unless they're hyper efficient based on the strategy in which they're playing so just people having the wrong idea of CDH you know and just understanding like they think it's just a bunch of spikes mm-hmm. or it's a bunch of tryhards and And, you know, I always toot their horn, but I always think like play to win is like one of the best representations of what CDH is. It's just friends having fun, trying to play magic and just trying new things out, you know, and there's going to be different levels to that. And I think that's too just helps people kind of navigate what CDH is. And just also maybe it's something that they would enjoy because maybe you don't enjoy your casual pods where there's always that one person who has a casual deck, but it's like it's not really a casual deck, but they Mm -hmm. have a casual commander because they want to be different than whatever a well-known commander is like, you know, but it's still basically doing the same thing. And I think that just understanding what CDH and what the community is about and just learning from your own experiences, not a bunch of outside noise or some of these other channels that are out there that just basically hate on CDH when they've probably never really played a, a game of CDH. And I just think having a good understanding of what it's about. And ultimately, the environment that you cultivate is what you make of it. You may never play CDH outside of your group of friends, Mm. but if you have a great playing experience and a great group of people that you enjoy and you cultivate or you grow, then I think that's ultimately, that's all that really truly matters.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a lot And I think even if you've like been listening to the podcast, but if you haven't played a game yet, there's still going to be a little bit of like difference in what you might expect going into a game than how it actually feels when you get in there and you're the one in the driver's seat and you're making the decisions and you're having to navigate things. It's going to be a little bit different than what you expect, even if you're going in knowledgeable. And most people are approaching it just like I heard this is the format where you win turn one, which is so rarely true. (laughs) Very, very rarely true. Yeah, what are you trying to get out of it? I think is a, is a good place to start. Number two, I would ask you, what's your experience with Magic? And I, again, I think there are mainly three buckets that people fall into. And that's the players that are new to Magic. I've played for maybe a month or a week. I, my friends introduced me to it. That's where I'm at. Players who have played for a bit and they know what they're doing. Maybe they've played on Arena. They played some Modern. They've played for six months to a year. They get the rules. They get all of that. And they can sort of hold their own uh, mechanically. And then you have the people who are way better than me, who <laughs> the people who have played for many years and or at a very high level. Um, some people have only played for like a year or two and they just get it and, and they just jam a bunch of games. So think about it in terms of like how long I've played, maybe not be the most important thing. I think once you get to that sort of mid level, Where you go from there depends just a lot on the person, but people who have a really good grasp of the game um, understand a lot of intricacies have just put a ton of hours into it. You know, those sort of people.
1: To just kind of highlight that last point, your growth of the game is going to be, again, based on you as an individual, while you may not have X amount of years into it. But if you're playing more games and Mm. you're exposed to different like players, different play skills, you're going to get a wider variety. And then the higher levels that you play. I mean, I've known people who have been able to just basically learn magic and they're you know, they're on Arena, just jamming games, always hitting Mythic. And Arena is quite a bit different than Paper Magic. Uh, I'll be the one. I, I very much think it's very, it's it's a lot different. There's a lot of more auto-ness that kind of goes into Arena, which not to hmm. diminish, you know playing arena. But at the same time, it's very much different than taking the manual time to shuffle and do all these other like things. And it's really kind of hard to read people on arena because you don't mm. actually interact with them. You interact with their little avatar and you troll <laughs> them and click on you know, It's all going to be based on the individual. Just because somebody's been playing the game for 10 years, that doesn't mean they've necessarily played 10 years worth of magic.
0: Yeah, it's definitely like to some extent, it's your innate ability to learn magic, but it's also just like with anything, you can get it sort of a a decent baseline and just uh, a great example is like with an instrument you can just be a casual guitar player for 10 years or you can be a hardcore guitar player for two years and that hardcore player is probably going to be just smoking the other person because like they're both getting what they want out of it. They're just approaching it differently. That's it's not like one is better than the other necessarily. What do you want out of this? Is is a lot of what it is.
1: Um, yeah, but did that? But that uh, <laughs> guitar player, they top sixteen with their guitar. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> exactly.
0: And this is one where I would say, if you're in that first bucket of players who are new to Magic, I would pretty much straight up say, don't play CDH. Not as a sort of gatekeeper, I don't want you here sort of thing, but as a I want you here eventually. And I think this is a really hard point to start. If you're brand new, I think watching a bit of videos, playing on, that's one of the best things Arena has ever done is made getting into magic easy and not require another human in the room with you. So I would definitely say, and just in general, not just CDH, I wouldn't recommend you even play Commander uh, because it's just four players. The the complexity is just doubled with, with, with all the stuff that's going on. It can be really hard to read board states. So really, I would suggest some type of 1v1 gameplay and just like, General beginner to magic specific stuff. And then once you get to that sort of I've played for a bit, know what I'm doing phase where you've played for maybe a few months or you've just played a lot of games and you got the rules pretty quickly, then I would look into coming here knowing that like this is on the more complex side of what's possible in magic.
1: So I look at it too from like my background as a personal trainer. So if I ever worked with somebody's like health and nutrition and their lifestyle, I wouldn't work with four people at once. That makes no sense mm-hmm. because you're never going to get individualized, your learning curve is going to be a lot lower because you're going to be spread thin across three other people. So that's why I'm not like big into boot camps, like training or teaching boot camps outside of people who have already gained a certain level of mastery over their body and just understanding like how to move mechanically because that's actually a big part of it. The first thing I ever teach somebody is their base mechanics because most people don't actually know how to walk or move appropriately. And that's not to make us sound like we're this, you know, (laughs) really like we're just dragging across the ground, but you know, when you look at a lot of health issues later on in life, it's going to come through, like, you know, their gait or their hips and those type of things. So, magic's very similar, so you don't want to jump into something where you you're playing with people unless you just happen to have like really, really great, you know, influences around you that are willing to take the time to teach. Again, this is all contextual. This is very contextual. But I always suggest learning just like like Matt said, the base level, of the mechanics. And then almost like as you grow, start supplementing and maybe starting to like get into watch this channel, learn, learn all the things you need to know hmm. about Commander and CDH and then kind of start cultivating another group, find people that's maybe a little bit higher skill than you but that you can kind of level up to and just kind of work your way into it once you kind of understand that it'll really help you grow as a new player so instead of basically trying to like take on the black belt you know yeah in the class and your your white belt like i would say pay your dues learn some mechanics learn some nuances you know there's tons of resources out there and then kind of jump into it because eventually we want you here we want you playing and always ask questions in the meantime doesn't mean you can't play but just you know understand that that it's gonna it's gonna be a lot because you've got three other people that you're playing against and not everyone's gonna be a teacher so and then number three
0: I would ask what is a deal breaker for you as a player this is where it gets way more specific I think person to person the ones I've definitely noticed are mainly I need a deck that I can understand you know it's an accessible deck which mainly goes with people who are answered like one or two on the first thing where they're newer or they're just here to see what it's about, have fun. But it can also, I think, be for a an experienced player who's just like, well, I don't want to hop into the most complex thing this deck, this game has to offer. I want to still start with like a beginner deck and then get the feel for this format and then move into like what are the best decks or decks that have a lot more things going on, just how you want to approach it, maybe differently, not necessarily tied to, to skill level or knowledge, but tends to be the big one that is just the number one killer of new people is I only play decks that I build and you're going to hear that from casual commander players mostly who are very used to that because that is in you know a lot of people's opinion the main appeal of that format is just getting to build things and expression. And it's really hard over here because what you're building for is no longer this open thing where what's good enough is a very loose question. And here it's pretty hard and fast where there are probably less than 500 cards that are good enough versus the 20,000 or whatever that are good enough in casual commander. So knowing what you're getting into is a big deal. Yeah, starting starting with this one is rough. I'm just going to say that it's tough to go into a format where you have to build where there is a meta. That's that's the big thing I would say to casual commander players coming into here is that there is a very defined meta of cards that you have to be able to deal with. And those require more specific answers because just threatening wins isn't really as viable a thing over here because you got three other people doing that and being able to answer things in a way that makes sense or at least protect your things from other people's answers requires a lot of specificity in deck building that has not i wouldn't say completely but for the most part a lot of that work has been done for you and been solved to an extent it's just going to be easier learning off of it i'll go into this more but going off of an established list it's going to help you be able to build as you
1: learn kind of what you're building for Yeah, and we've talked about this before, but especially like learning a new deck or playing a new deck, uh, don't change it. Just pick it up, play it. If you're enjoying it, keep playing it don't change any cards right away understand like why that list is the way it is and especially if it's like an established list or if it's something that you get from a tournament or the database and you know whatever that looks like and i'm not trying to say the database is necessarily the greatest place to go for that but Mm -hmm. it does have a nice library of like cards or decks and stuff so just understand that you know the people who probably built that deck put more time into it than you just casually picking it up so just kind of respect that and just put your time and due diligence into it especially as you like learn and grow as a player you're you'll see certain things that work that do work really well in your meta just understand that and for the longest time especially at local LGS that was always kind of the big like hang up from people who weren't tournament players was you know dating all the way back from for me 1998 and stuff people wanted to play their home brews
2: mm-hmm.
1: not everybody's a brewer that's just the facts and I hate to sound like really like dogmatic in that because I'm very much not like, you know, an absolute person in certain things. Outside dockside, don't cut dockside ever <laughs> from your risk study. You, you would get that a lot. And I was that person. I, I was the person who wanted to... Brew and build my own decks and stuff, and but before I did anything, guess what I did? I picked up mono red panza with that one nationals, mm. you know stuff like that. Like I'd pick up decks that I saw the people play. Once I finally gained some understanding of that, I mean the first time I actually built my own like true deck that I ever won a tournament with, it was a PTQ, and I won and I built it because I basically took a theory of a deck that was already established, looked at the meta's whole, well. and standards pretty easy because standard was a closed meta. It's not a lot of sets. And I was able to go, cool, these two cards that I can splash in this deck cause a problem for the rest of the format. One is the answer and one's a threat. Really easy, cut two cards that are kind of medium out of the deck, fits on curve, rock and roll. And that's when I started kind of learning this more innate ability to that. So again, just... I know everybody wants to like grow and explore and stuff and maybe play a list that you like and you're coming from casual and you're like, but this combo works really well in casual. Let me just try it eventually in my list at a hyper rate, like because I'm powering out with like mana crit, mana vault, whatever that looks like. Mm. It might be good enough. It may not. I definitely think this is
0: where there are different skills and things that you're going to take depending on where you start, that are going to help you in CDH. So the approach that like a standard modern or legacy player, like a 1v1 60 card competitive minded player, what they're going to share that's going to help with them in CDH is the approach to deck building of this is a fairly established metagame and I need to go in with a knowledge of that metagame and understand what I am doing to challenge it, what I'm doing that's a part of it, how do I beat it how do I compete at the same level of these are the established decks how do I do that the building decks part of competitive commander is way more in line with that sort of thinking than it is casual commander you know and the same time a lot of the table politics and such and a lot of and threat assessment things like that don't really carry over from that 1v1 experience and that's going to be more of a like commander player thing especially the politics element which is pretty rarely a thing in 1v1 magic So there's just different things that are going to help you but just In general, playing established decks while you're learning is something I'm going to very, very highly recommend to anybody.
1: Yeah, just accelerate your learning curve, too, as
0: well, so... Mm. And number three, which you will also hear is I want to play one of the best decks. Generally, not bad advice. As we were saying, playing established decks is good. We're going to talk about some established decks that I think, depending how you answered questions one and two, maybe not push you towards not necessarily you can't play them, but that they may provide other hiccups, even though they are established and powerful. But generally, again, this is a a, a format where there are really strong overperformers that stick out and playing one of them's generally pretty good. And definitely there is no morality assigned to metagaming. A lot of people think of best decks as being bad or boring or whatever. It's just like, oh, you just play this. You don't get points for creativity. It's fun and cool to do. But I would say approaching the game with an open mind to see even what things are like to get an idea of what this format is even like is going to be helpful. And it's just never helpful to anybody to disparage people over their deck choices whether they're good or if they're bad if they're re- results oriented really doesn't make any sense to say like oh you're playing a good deck why are you doing that well <laughs> i'm trying to win games so <laughs> if we are yeah. playing a game where a winner is declared i would like to be that winner so um let's not do that <laughs> so that,
2: that,
1: i love uh, that
2: Matt. that was fantastic <laughs> <laughs>
0: So for people primarily answering like with one where they're like, I want to see what it's all about and, and or play for fun where I'm new ish. I, you know, I know what I'm doing, but I'm not exactly like hyper experienced. There's a lot of decks that I think are available to you and in, in a lot of different play styles. I have a video of the top five decks I'd recommend to new people. That's just a really short and sweet version of this. I, I've changed a couple things around as some decks have come to prominence and have maybe sort of falling down a little bit. There's just a lot of good options. I think here we're going to go through a couple of we're not going to go super in depth on these. A lot of these I have videos on that you can watch. Probably will link them if I remember. (laughs) But you can just check the entire learn to play playlist and see that most of these are covered. And if they aren't, the decks probably have very good primers that you can find uh, over on the database or on Moxfield. And these are just generally pretty established decks. It's going to be easy to find content on and uh, easy to find other people who know about the list and can answer your questions that you have about them. And again, I've sort of broken these down loose into categories sometimes things don't exactly line up that way but i think there are some things that um tie these together that make them stick out to me at least and hopefully will help you out with with choosing some of these there are two decks that kind of stick out as having play patterns that really remind me of like a modern or standard deck where they're they're like kind of straightforward where they play play creatures on curve, they sort of value out, they have a, a bit of a tribal synergy, uh, maybe they have a combo with their commander. Yuriko is the big one that is going to be, I think if you're like a modern player, casual commander player, whatever, a super direct, easy way to get into CDH. It isn't the biggest, craziest, highest performer in the format, but it does get tournament results. It actually does have a, a pretty good uh, results record recently, and it's just a very established deck that has a lot of people that play it. And It has a, a pretty straightforward game plan of I'm gonna play a ninja, I'm gonna attack with that ninja, then I'm gonna put my Yuriko into play. And it has just like a a good um, you could build like muscle memory sort of going into it. We just get these patterns that make it easy to pick up the deck and perform what it's supposed to do without a lot of thinking but then gives you a ton of room and flexibility once you start getting those yuriko triggers out you have different ninjas in your hand where you can prioritize different things you start doing top deck manipulation that gives a lot of a skill ceiling in the deck where it's like okay do i go for big yuriko trigger here or do i actually go for something like stacks piece that some of the decks run like um Curse totem or a graph digger's cage that they might be on so there's there's a lot of flexibility there and kind of on the same lines it's a little bit different so bear with me but malcolm Tana i think has a lot of those same patterns of i am playing synergistic things i have a commander who is how i win the game and also is a, an enabler for what i'm trying to get there and just has a really straightforward gameplay of i get malcolm i get Glinthorn buccaneer usually by getting rid of a creature or something with Neoform or Eldritch Evolution or some other creature tutor and just sticking in it in a play. And then I go for a win that includes getting through combat, getting through and dealing combat damage or Something along those lines.
1: Yeah, especially to like Yuriko being two colors and also Mm. just being accessibly like two really good colors in blue and black really helps that deck. You're going to get kind of carried by the power level of some of the cards in your deck, namely Ristic Mystic, Vamp Tutor, you know, Demonic Tutor, Imperial Seal, like those type of cards that are just inherently pretty powerful on their own. They're just hyper efficient. They're great at what they do. And you're in two really good colors. You also are going to have access to Force of Will. Also it's sweet that Force of Will and that lists... Mm. This is better is five mana, <laughs> yeah and it's a free counter so it's like kind of best of both worlds and you get to play like really cool cards like something like commandeer you mm-hmm. know those kind of cards and then speaking of like malcolm and tana well you're in green and not only do you have access to all the same fast mana stuff in terms of like artifacts, but you're in green, so you're going to have like dorks like, you know, Birds of Paradise, which are going to just, again, make your game plan kind of pretty simple. It's not to say that the deck is simple, but your starting point is I'm trying to get a turn one or turn two Malcolm or some kind of draw engine out early on and then go from there. And then the Uh deck kind of like filters its way through. It has kind of some of that built into it. So again, having some really accessible decks like that, that are as you get better with those decks, you can find the complexities into the list, but they're very, very beginner friendly.
0: The big strength of these is they will at different points, especially with Yuriko, pull from your experience of fair magic and you'll get sort of rewarded for that. And they have like Eric said, they have game plans that are really easy to wrap your head around. There isn't a lot of hoops to jump through. A lot of times with Yuriko, you don't even need to be thinking about your Thassa's Oracle. You're just like, well, I could just, you know, get three Yuriko triggers here and kill the table. Pretty straightforward gameplay and in good colors, you'll see a lot of blue and every tier of this list that we go through, you're going to see a lot of blue because it tends to be Pretty good, sort of along the same lines, but with kind of a less direct win con. This still has a fairly straightforward win con, but it isn't exactly a one card combo. Um, There are other pieces you have to put together, and that's Kinnan, which really pulls from a lot of the kind of casual commander stuff of playing a lot of big mana things, having a way to sink your mana in, have, and that also produces the mana. Kinnan is just kind of crazy like that, where helps you make a lot of mana and lets you spend it, Uh, and you get to play with a lot of big. Cool things kind of like Yuriko, except you're casting them or putting them straight into play with Kinnon very easily, again, because you're cheating on your mana and you just get to play some of the biggest cool things. Like you get to play Nyx Bloom Ancient in a Seed Age deck and it will feel crazy. Cards like Seedborn Muse, really cool things you don't normally get to do in this format that may be more
1: familiar to you if you're coming from a casual commander perspective. Yeah. And then obviously, Kinnon just. Providing, again, another deck that is dork and fast mana heavy just takes a lot of pressure off of that because it, it I don't want to say it's, you know, there's again, there's intricacies to every deck in CDH, especially against the other players. But like you see what you get, like when you read canon, you know what it does. Mm hmm. You're like cool. My dorks basically tap for double. Some might tap for three total. You know your mana rocks are just insanely really good, and just allows you to you know especially with the learning, you you learn really fast that you know this deck can do a, like some big powerful things early on. And you know the game complexities will get like more challenging as as you learn and the different styles of decks you play against. But Ken is just a really great way to just kind of practice and just play and just kind of also have fun too. Yeah with that and it happens to just be also a pretty solid deck so it
0: lets you really chill kind of like yuriko like your mulligans get to be pretty relaxed with this compared to like different decks where Kinnan makes land dork go look really good because that often means like turn two. cannon tap the dork for two mana get to play a rock tap that for two mana then it just it you're already presenting turn three activations pretty quickly you have wins with basalt monolith and mirage mirror which are a a little complicated you might not see exactly how that works there's there's weird stuff that happens with putting a ton of activations on the stack with mirage mirror a lot of times though you don't even you get basalt monolith and it's not even just to win it just means you get to activate Kinnan a lot which or your yeah, you'll find a lot of times you get to just do Basalt Monolith, activate Kinnon like two or three times and then find a way to get your win from there. You'll, you'll get the Thrasios, you'll get the Artifact Tutor, something like that, and then put it into play or you get Seaborn Muse and then you just take over. People are really going to have problems dealing with you from that point. So just a great deck that I think offers a lot of flexibility and um, ability to improve with it. It has really good tournament results and it is really forgiving in my experience where the the mulligans aren't that tough. You never really run out of stuff as long as you have access to Kinnan because getting up to Kinnan mana isn't too difficult. And so you can just pull yourself out of these really tough scenarios with just getting the right card off the top and just going off sort of on the opposite end. So this is more if you've watched like CDH gameplay, right, you probably have seen a lot of Underworld Breaches cast, which a lot of decks that do that, I think are on the more complex end of of the format. People who are entrenched might think that they're brain dead or like super easy. And I I think some of the stuff that they get to do is sort of easy for a experienced player, like a a player who's kind of been around here doing that sort of stuff. You've seen those play patterns so much. It's 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 whatever to you. But as a new player, knowing when to go all in on a breach, cracking your LED and just like sort of being open and vulnerable or even just knowing how to play with a breach when things aren't going well or ad nauseum, there's a lot of complexity out of there. So if you want to get some of that like ad nauseum underworld breach, like the really powerful stuff you'll hear about with Grixis colors, a lot of decks you could play. The one I would definitely point you towards as a newer pilot is Tevish Krom because it gets access to all those colors, but it also has really really great backup plans in the command zone to just be able to power them out early as ways to just smooth the game out for you or ways to just take over. Honestly, like if you just decide from the beginning, I want to do a more mid rangey plan because of this pod. I don't want to go all in on early NOS. You can just put Tevish into play and draw a ton of cards, put Krom into play, put it play a ton of cards. And then just at a certain point, say like, well, I've drawn 15 cards or whatever. Let's just do an explosive thing because more than likely nobody's going to get to stop me. And it really smooths out the sort of like Turbo Grixis thing with a lot of advantage generation and a lot of just like a fail
1: safe built into this that you won't see in more complicated similar decks. Yeah, that's the beauty of a deck like this it just gives you that inherent power level of these commanders and these commanders specifically i don't want to say they don't have a lot of strategy to them but they're just good on their face outside of just knowing when to uptick Tebish versus sacrificing the thralls just making sure you're paying attention to your Chrom triggers those type of things and then just don't thos's oracle with always because <laughs> yeah. somebody might cast her second spell make you draw a card and lose the game which Probably, you know, most people honestly forget about a lot of times. I think Mm. it's become, but um, yeah, they're just really powerful cards. Both play really well with Jeweled Lotus. So that also kind of helps too. You don't, it's really easy to turn one. I don't say like super, super easy, but it's pretty easy to turn one of these commanders. It's easier than you'd think it would be looking at, especially
0: Tevish. Getting black mana is so easy compared to any other color. And they can just carry you. A lot of times people aren't ready to to hit Tevish that early on. And he makes blockers, so... This is, I would say, just an ad nauseum breach strategy is going to add its own complexities compared to a deck like Yuriko, and It will make up for it, I think, in how explosive it is and... If you really want like what has been advertised to you as the CDH experience, I think you're going to gravitate towards a deck like this that is doing broken dockside things and and breach and thoracol. Know that it might be a little bit more complex, but you get to do really cool things with ad nauseum. And I, I think this is if you want something that can do turbo, I think as a newer player, this is I, I can't really think of a better way to start than this because it does have all those sort of backup plans to keep you going into the late game so that if you time something here or mess up here, you have just a little bit of insurance to say, OK, well, the Nas got countered. I, maybe I went for it too soon, but I still have a Tevish in play. So I'm, I'm just going to keep doing that thing until I can try again. For players who are looking for a bit of a
2: controly
0: kind of slower thing where they can ramp up into very big, powerful commanders. I-, I think there are two good examples, one being Niv-Mizzet, which I think is a really good crossover deck where a lot of casual people sort of tiptoe into CDH, kind of like Yuriko, where they end up doing very CDH like things with it and then sort of take over their pods and just start becoming the arch enemy and coming in CDH proper can be um, really nice because you no longer have those like feel bads. It's a Really cool one. That thing is actually there are some tough things with it as a more reactive deck, but it the way it wins and just like rewards you and makes life easy for just casting counter spells really lets you do sort of the control thing. Again, that can be a harder play style, but it just makes life really easy when you're just every time you cast the counter spell to protect it, you're drawing like two cards. and It's a super fun deck. You get to play with blue and red, which are two of the better colors. And then uh, the big boy that everybody's talking about, Tivit which is probably the one I would point you towards um, nowadays if you're wanting to play like a slower game plan that just has access to a ton of really good win cons. Niv-Mizzet also has access to Curiosity, but Niv's a little bit harder to cast and honestly maybe weaker when it comes into play than Tivet. Tivet is just like on a tear right now. And it's just a very powerful deck that has fairly simple win cons. You get to just play Esper stuff and draw a bunch of cards and protect yourself. Just do a lot of really good things on top of not caring about your graveyard. Both these decks get to play Digger's Cage. You're just going to do a lot of awesome stuff with
1: these. Yeah, and you can just also just beat people. You can just beat people down with your commander as well as... Because obviously it's like a one card combo in the command zone with like Time Sieve. And then it just, again, has access to a, you know, very hyper efficient combo and Thassa's Oracle, whether it be Demonic Consultation or Tainted Pack. So it gets to play kind of both those roles where it's just like really smooth Hmm. and it's in good colors. Three colors, I think, has really great mana overall. It makes it pretty easy. It's a great Jewel Lotus deck, and then it just gets to play with like really powerful cards in those colors, like Grand Abolisher, Rager Captain Eos, Opposition Agent, Delphi Voidwalker. If you especially have seen all any of our other videos, we've talked about like these cards at, at no pun intended to ad Nauseam. So Tibit does a really great job with that, and it plays that type of role where it still gets to be kind of a you know, it's not quite a Titan, but Titan-like effect, Mm. still got to connect for it outside of the ETB. It can pivot and play that way. So it just it's for a player. It it gives a new player a lot of agency. So if one part of the plan doesn't go right, you still have your commander backup or vice versa.
2: So Mm.
0: Yeah, so I think any of these decks mentioned here are going to be good if you're somebody who's, like I said, you want to see what it's all about or play without power level concerns. If you're really at any skill level like I, I think I played for a bit and know what I'm doing, or played for many years, you're you're going to be able to have fun with these. Again, I would say if you're someone who wants a deck that's beginner friendly, you maybe don't lean as much towards the controlier ones or Tevish Crom. You maybe lean towards the like Yuriko, Malcolm Tana, Kinnan. That's going to be like really straightforward for you. But if you're a player who just says like I want to play one of the best decks, and you meet this criteria, I would say Tivit is like a great choice, and Malcolm Tana continues to put up good results. These are both very high performing decks, especially Tivit recently, that are. Going to be fairly straightforward to approach and also they can take down a tournament at any any given time and so from there so those are the more beginner friendly decks from there you let's say you, you play those and you're in here for a while or you're just coming in at that very high experience level where you've played magic for years or you have a really good understanding of the rules from there is where i'd say you could go into decks that are the ones that you really hear brought up a lot with names that you don't understand which is like your blue farm your Dawn Wakers, your Blood Pods, basically four color partner decks and Ajila that have lots of ability to pivot. Also sort of a requirement to pivot to really, I think, take advantage of everything that they offer. Probably require a, a bit of format knowledge and you're gonna have to be considering things like fetching, mainly like fetches, tutors, anything where you're searching You're going to have so many different ways to play out the same starting hand that it's really going to take a bit of time and understanding of the format to know really what you should be going for in a lot of scenarios. But there are also decks that just like these are like the top dogs that you're thinking of when you're thinking of decks right now in CDH, you're thinking of Tim Necrom you're thinking of Najila. you're thinking of Bruce Thrasios. These are your big decks that you're going to be seeing at every tournament. Also some stacks lists like Rocco, which has really started to just like really pop off. New Capena was great for CDH. Not as often now, but Blood Pod and decks like it, which again, Rocco can kind of fall into the sort of pod style decks that are toolboxy in nature that just require a bit more deck knowledge and meta understanding than some of the lists mentioned in, in the last section.
1: Yeah. So also, too, with any of these lists, anything that's playing like any form of stacks in your deck, that will just require understanding the game a little bit more because, you know, we've talked about just not just casually deploying your stacks pieces. Whenever you draw them, you might you need to understand the game at hand, what's about to happen, what commanders are at the table, where you're at, just understanding a little bit more of you might be like, oh, well, Rocco's bad because, you know, I went and got this. Hmm. You know, versus just like, oh, actually, I should have just went and got Drenith Magistrate because getting the dockside is just not really relevant right now and then that's a little bit more intuitiveness with understanding the deck the pod composition you know and just play experience overall so that's the only thing about stacks I would just kind of not necessarily pump the brakes on but just understand a little bit more about that and then also to the other decks that Matt mentioned so Najila, I mean there's multiple ways to play Najila. right now it's mostly more of this faster aggressive Najila, but Najila is a great deck because again very similar to some of the decks we already mentioned it's a bunch of great cards because it's five color it has a great plan with the commander and it just happens to run again breach thos's oracle ad nauseum all that good stuff so kind of hard to go wrong with najeela again you just want to practice fetching understanding your game plan understanding what to mulligan for based on that and then go from there you know and then dawn waker if you've played with kenan so let's say you went from Kennen and in, into Dawn Waker, you actually just get like an extra layer of protection with the white cards, which is quite nice. Mm. And then you actually still get to do all the, a lot of Kennen stuff in Don yeah. Waker, which is cool. Yeah, that's going to translate really well. Yeah. And then from what we've already discussed, Tevish Krom just kind of morphs into Blue Farm, you know, really. And then you'll just, depending on how you played Tevish Krom, your Blue Farm experience could be either, um, I wouldn't say, st- you know, like super fast, but in just in terms of like, you know, maybe it's not like this, um, super like lots of creatures. It might just be like, I don't know. Uh, it might be more of your like notion thieves, maybe like an old opus thief style, hmm. or it could be on like this kind of this new iteration of blue farm. It just ultimately depends on how you want to build the deck and navigate the list. But, you're going to see a lot of those same cards. I mean, it's Grixis, Grixis plus White. A
0: lot of these, they start to become, these commanders and the partner pairings become really flexible. And so the way that you translate from maybe one of these starter decks can just be different, even based on how the build is. Malcolm Tana really directly translates to a mid rangier Najila, more creature focused Nagila, very directly, where it's still A plus B combos with your commander. Now you get access to even more colors, so you get even more creatures. You get... Really ridiculous cards like Eladomri's Call, Grand Abolisher, just the broken white stuff, Esper Sentinel you could run Esper Sentinel and Malcolm Tana, you yeah. do it every day of the yeah. week. Or it can be, again, you could go from Tevish Krom and then go into the more turbo-y Najeela, like no bad card style Najila, where you are more focused on getting an early-ish Ad Nauseum that's probably protected by like a Fierce Guardianship and then um, putting together like a Breach Line. You're going to see a lot of these decks sort of have, again, these really good pivot plans. And you'll see a lot of like Ad Nauseums that are often... Not main phase done there. A lot of times you'll see a lot of like holding up interaction and in an ad nauseum to do on an end step. These are the decks that are looking to build a lot of advantage and navigate somewhat longer game plans and then go for their win at a time where it's like time best and get an explosive win. Out of that, because they just have so much potential and card quality. Though often, again, they get rewarded for doing it at the right time and after they've sort of built up into a winning position. And a lot of times, that takes one commanders that make it easier, like Tim Necrom, but also the more format knowledge you have, the better you're going to navigate the turns leading up to that to put yourself in the best position.
1: All right, what happens if I want to play something like really complex?
0: I'm I'm ready. So once you're I'd say once you you've played one of these decks for a bit and you're just like here and you're ready to go. Maybe you've played blue Farm and you have like a lot of naws and and breach experience. Then I think some people might argue, but I I think you kind of want to be there before you start to take some of the like really dedicated Nas or Grixis list and be able to pilot them at a level where you're gonna consistently come out on top. So your decks like Rogsai really stick out as like It's a a very tough deck to play effectively because you're going to be the most targeted at a table. You are not here to make things better. You are here to just win before everybody else can. So nobody wants you to do well and you're still going to do well because the deck is just it has that power if you know how to take advantage of it. So you're going to be playing decks like that. Decks like Anala that have pretty complex lines that if you really know the deck, you're going to be able to win in spots where other people don't even think you have anything going on. Other turbo, I mean, like, I guess I'll mention it. it is Korvold. I mean, that's a deck that we mentioned from time to time where anything where there's that manual storm element, I think is going to be something that you want a higher experience level of because there's a lot of what you might hear referred to as non-deterministic wins, where you have to really leverage the chance of what you get. You're having to think about what is an option here? How do I navigate the average thing my deck gives me? How, How do I get through this? Maybe I don't have as much interaction as I need to. What do I do when I only have one bit of interaction? Like these are the decks where your margins are really thin. Some of them are really high performers. Again, we've talked about how Rock's si Eye is really killing it. There are some low color stacks decks, again, that fall into the same thing where you have to make very smart decisions that will impact the rest of the game and take into consideration everybody at the table. And, and we see these decks not necessarily like the best performers ever, but we see experienced pilots take low color stacks and still be able to like really do well at events. Because once you get a grasp of these decks, they can just really really run over people in ways that they're not ready for whether that's with the manual storm stuff or with the turbo or with like the stacks from angles like we saw liberator take down a tournament where that's as low color as it gets and very stacks in a very unique way and, and these sort of decks i think all maybe not require to play it at a okay level but i would say like if you really want to feel comfortable on a lot of these decks i think having a lot of games under your belt and a lot of format knowledge is going to help you a lot
1: yeah, it's going to make your life easier, and it's also going to make the game more enjoyable for your opponents, too, mm. versus just, like, maybe putting out a Chalice of the Void for the wrong converted minute cost. Not because it's intentional, but just also not knowing, like, how another deck wins or putting out the wrong stacks piece, like uh, putting out a Trinisphere over a Dampened Sphere, mm-hmm. you know? can just ruin someone's day and you don't get to win. It actually inhibits you from continuing your game and you just might just gave the game away to somebody else. And that's going to happen from time to time because that's trial and error. And that's part of the growth and learning as a player. But just also, again, you know, understanding what the deck does. And again, ask questions, reach out to people that play these decks. Most people in the format, I think, are pretty open to talk to about it because a lot of people like hearing themselves talk. Yep. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's um, why everyone has a
2: podcast. <laughs> that's why everyone has a podcast.
1: It's just a good resource to reach out to people, get in discords, just mm-hmm. communicate, you know, be specific about your questions. One of the things that frustrates me as somebody who is a, as, as a deck database author is someone goes, hey, I want to cut Alpha Deep Shadow for Orcish Lumberjack with no context what am I supposed to do with that information? Hmm. Now, I've got to do all the work and ask all the questions of like, well, what does your list look like? What is your reasoning? Why are you doing this? And then instead of going, hey, you know, I want to cut Elves of Deep Shadow for Orchard Slumberjack because I play actually a lot more red and green in my list. Black is a little bit lighter. I don't really need double black. I'm not on Necropotence, and by the time I would need a peer into the Abyss, I've already been able to generate enough mana, and I'm on double red wheel, and I'm on Jessica's wheel, and I just like being a little bit more explosive. Have sound reasoning, you know, for certain things like that. So when you do reach out to people, just kind of come prepared with that. It's respectful and it just also shows you have you've put a little bit of thought into your question.
0: This is also the skill level or knowledge level where I would say you're probably cool to start brewing your own stuff and start making deck building decisions. You have played a lot of games where you you have a good understanding of the cards that you're expected to see. You get most of the staples, you don't have to look up cards in your average game, you understand what you're going to be going against what's good enough, what roughly isn't. And then you're going to be in a position where you'll be able to do a lot of like more fine tuning with your list. So this is where you start again. I don't, there's some brewing in CDH, but there is a lot of just like, there's a lot of established stuff that's pretty good. And most people stick to it. And even a spicy list is like, you're running five to ten cards that are different than like what Blue Farm would play. Like like there's only, there's only so much that to mostly maintain being very competitive without a new commander dropping that's always different. But on an established list you're probably going to be using information you've got from here and say like hey maybe I don't really like Lavinia. I don't like the Cavern of Souls tech in Blue Farm. I want to go for a less creature reliant thing and maybe I, I like to take the deck in a more stormy direction it's a little unexpected and I run things a little bit differently. And this is where you get to kind of do that like again with these like Najee as the blue farms, these high color decks. There's a lot of customization you can do because you have access to most of the cards in Magic. So there's a a lot of fine tuning you can do. And this is the point where you're going to be able to know that when you go into a game and a card underperforms in a game or two, it doesn't necessarily mean you need to cut it because you've probably got the experience to say, like, well, in like 10 other games, it's won me a game or it's been a tutor target often enough to where I I think it's worth it. And you're just going to have a better bit of knowledge to pull from when you're making deck building decisions to the point where you can just say like, hey, you know what? I don't like these Final Fortune cards. I'm going to cut them, put in this. I don't like this. I want this. You're, you're just not going to be doing it arbitrarily, which I think a lot of people do when they when they first start brewing, with maybe not a lot of experience under
1: their belt. Yeah. So what I think happens is is people come in with a certain bias that they already have on a deck. And if that deck doesn't fit the narrative that they come in with, they don't like it. They're dismissive or they're just like, oh, that's not what I want to do. You know, I want to do my thing or I think this thing's like better or they haven't kept up with the trends of the format or... The complexities of the format or just anything how it's shaped up to be, you know, I get a lot of questions on like food chain and those type of things of like, why aren't you running food chain, you know, and then I'm like, it's not it's not 2019 anymore. Yeah, you know. (laughs) So joking aside, it's again, it's just having a little bit more agency and responsibility of doing your due diligence to do the research. There's nothing wrong with being new to the format and absolutely come in with an open mind. But also at the same time, it's still your responsibility to kind of come in and just do some research, do a little bit of groundwork before you just start going off asking questions or making suggestions. And especially to what happens is everybody starts leveling up. And the point we made earlier about wanting to brew your own deck or, and not wanting to play like net decks and those type of things. At one point, everything was a brew before it became a net deck. Yeah. It was an idea. It was a hypothesis that got tested and proven over and over. And the reason why the deck became established is because the work and effort went into it and good pilots played it and it happened to perform really well and it kept performing well and then it just continued. You know that's something that I want people to kind of understand. Everything has an origin story, and so maybe your point isn't the brewer. Maybe your point is the fixer. Maybe when you come in, by the time you take a hold of the deck, you see some things that just happen to work really well. A deck that actually got left off of these lists would just be Timnathrasios. You know, I think there's a level of Timnathrasios for every single one of these tiers that we put on there in terms of like beginner, immediate, you know, media, and then experienced. And I think there's, you know, because it has just the good green stuff, like we talked about with like Kennen. They play Kennen. They could play Kennen. They can play all that type of stuff. And then they have Seaborn Muse where do a little bit more complexity stuff at the end step. And then there's like more something where if you're a great pilot with probably something like Hermit Druid, you get really rewarded for that deck. That's like another combination that just, you know, people haven't talked about. And I think that's kind of due for some innovation.
0: And in general, like when you hear, Any advice you hear me give that's like, don't play this or, you know, like reconsider playing this or reconsider, like maybe don't brew when you come in. It isn't based on like, I mean, I don't really care what you do. You can do whatever you want. But it's more that my goal in CDH space is to get players from I'm interested in this format to I'm a CDH player. And I think the biggest thing that stops people from doing that is like a wall where they don't feel like they're making progress, where they're struggling in their games. And I think a lot of that usually comes from people who come in who kind of disregard a lot of established information and pick up decks that are really questionable or they start making a lot of weird card choices and then they just like don't enjoy their games and they're a miserable experience and they just lose interest like that's exactly what i try to avoid with this it's not like you're not good enough to do this it's like i want you to get to the point where you can start brewing and build your own deck and, and do these sort of things that's the other thing with like where I differ from a lot of people is recommending low color decks, specifically low color stacks decks. Color and complexity are so unrelated, I think for the most part. And especially with like stacks is just really hard. I'm not going to recommend a stack stack to new people because you get in these scenarios where you make a play that is really hard to understand why it lost you the game because you're going to do it and not necessarily understand the context for how it changes everything because you just don't. You can't understand it because you just haven't played enough games you just you don't know what this card maybe is even in the deck for when you throw it down and it just warps the game around it it might be hard to understand why you weren't supposed to cast a spell that's in your deck and it's a good card in your deck and it just adds like layers of complexity and so that's why i'm not going to recommend like this green and golgari stacks kind of stuff because it's just the best way to king make and have a miserable time while doing it which is the big part you can do all this stuff and you are just super dedicated and you're like, I'm going to play c no matter what. Then, it's, you know, do whatever you want, because then it's not really a concern. But there's a lot of people I don't want anyone's first or beginner experience to be bad. And so that's what this is really trying to avoid is make sure that you are having fun and have a good chance in your games as you're learning. Because, again, even when you're playing the best deck in the format, if you don't know what you're doing, you're you know, you're going to struggle with it a bit at first because there's a learning curve. It's tough. There are people playing that same deck who have been playing it for years. And so they're obviously going to be able to perform a little bit at a higher level than you are. I definitely don't want you to come in with a disadvantage and not end up having a good time. That's really all I want to avoid when I say don't do this or avoid this. It's just trying to get you to be a CDH player who just sticks around.
1: Yeah, and then that ultimately grows and adds value to the format. And it takes time. It took me, honestly, like almost two years to really add any significance to an established archetype, you Mm -hmm. know, I didn't really do anything special. I just said, hey, I think we should just actually play like more Wincons in this win con list deck yeah <laughs> you know and then eventually just kind of pushed and pushed and pushed and then eventually those aren't even in my list anymore because the formats changed new cards got printed and again don't be afraid to change your opinion when new information's presented i, I just think there's people who will die on a hill on things because that's their brand or that's kind of what they're known for especially too and in, in, in this circle or whatever you want to call Call us. People are really, really beholden to like, I did this. I built this deck. This is who I am. Your value as a content creator or your value as a community member isn't about really what deck you've built. It's just about what you continue to bring. Because I promise you, you didn't think of the deck. Somebody across (laughs) the world thought of it. They just didn't publish it on Moxfield. Like, just get over yourself. Yeah, like already won a
0: tournament in Japan. And we just, yeah, it wasn't on EDH Talk. 16 so didn't happen yeah,
1: that. It wasn't. yeah. <laughs> people forget that there are these other large tournaments with like you know close to 200 people that have existed prior to all this but that's another thing too people get really stuck in like their identity is this mm-hmm. and really what you want to be is a good player that's diverse do what you want to do obviously like a corner case scenario where like i've i'm known for just one deck in reality i've played virtually almost every top deck that we've discussed Hmm. I just don't really like those nearly as much. I know they're inherently good, but that's not what I want to do. I, I want to enjoy and continuously work and innovate on the list that I'm working on, which by and large has actually helped me work and innovate on other lists and just have different viewpoints and different scenarios and just understanding that this is a really complex game. And there's a lot that you can learn from each other. Uh, And I always try to like look at what other people in this, you know, who put way more time into it than myself, you know, what are they doing? Maybe that's something I didn't look at, or I looked at it, or I thought of it, and I just didn't give it enough credence. And then I came back to that thought process. And then here we are now. And that's the goal is just ultimately just to provide like better and high quality lists. For players, as time goes along, so CDH is going to look a lot different. And if it's still here in five years, shoot, three years, two years, it's going to look a lot different in yeah. probably the next few years. Who knows? The partner commanders might be here; they may not be here. You know, you never know because eventually, like, we can't just have Tim Necrom forever, right? <laughs> Nigila forever, yeah. But as you can see, Tivit recently got printed, and it's it is a top deck. You yeah. know, and Rocco, whether it's Rocco, whether tournament <laughs> performers or not, like. Banana's right there. Like, you know, it's another deck that rewards you for just playing the game. So, when you really look at it, that was the biggest thing where people are just like, nothing will ever beat partner commanders. But in reality, that's just not the truth anymore, you know? And really, the other partner commanders who are doing well were printed out of commander legends as well. Mm-hmm. So, not just the original partner commanders that everyone's like, you know, they're mostly a lot of those are just there for colors. So, wow. outside of Tim and Krom and Thrasios, those are really the big three, right? Mm.
0: And yeah, and I really want to highlight that the question in, in general of just what deck should I play is really about what's my outlet for fun going to be in this format? Because that's, that's really what we're, we're here for. We're going to have fun. Maybe that means I need to be winning whatever 30% of my games for it to be really fun for me. And so we'll point you towards a more competitive thing. But even wherever it is you want to land in terms of like, the casual to competitive spectrum or just like I like brews, I like super established things. That's all just what is the most fun for you. And that that's that's really all this is. All deck discussion should be we're not out here competing for a hundred thousand dollars at these EDH tournaments. Half the time you can't you don't even actually make any money when you win. It's just all for <laughs> having fun, getting out to these events, getting to just do the thing you want to do, having these really unique outlets. Cause the thing I think that's the most unique about CDH is these are play patterns you don't normally get in most formats and so we have a lot of flexibility and cool stuff you get to do and being able to find the one that like you identify with the most and you get attached to and you you want to see it improve and so you become like known for it that's all cool like eric said maybe don't tie your whole self up into it to the point it becomes like a negative thing for you but just keep looking for cool stuff to play and um keep an open mind when you do it
2: yeah
1: that's simple
0: so i think that about covers it we could um always come back to, to this topic, maybe with more specific angles. I, th- I think we're going to end up doing something more tournament focused where maybe we talk about tournament prep. You know, as you're going through these episodes, you're probably at the point where you like to start competing or at, at least playing more seriously and um, addressing players who who that's what they want is, is probably something we're going to be doing here soon. I think for for now, that's all we've got to talk about on this one. Thank you again for listening to us. Let me know if this was helpful for you. If you have suggestions for for other people of decks you'd recommend in general let us know in the comments down below if you're still really trying to figure out what you want to play maybe hop into the discord the link is down below as well there's a lot of people in there that can talk to you more specifically one-on-one about hey okay you don't like this color maybe you look over here stuff like that the community is always going to be the best resource that we have access to you can't really replace that sort of one-on-one thing that you get from just connecting to another person who likes the thing that you do Thank you so much for watching, listening, wherever. Like us, comment, subscribe, support on Patreon, buy the shirts if you want. They're all cool. Tell me what you want to see
2: next from us. And with that being said, this has been Learning CDH. Keep playing CDH.